Good morning. We've been going through the Sermon on the Mount, and today we've reached Matthew chapter 5. We'll be looking at verses 33 through 37. And as I was preparing for this week, I was reminded of a quote from a popular movie that says, A lie keeps growing and growing until it's as clear as the nose on your face. Does this ring a bell for anyone? Does anyone remember where this quote's from? It actually comes from the Disney movie Pinocchio. And actually in this scene, Pinocchio is locked up in a cage and he's asked by the fairy as to how did you get locked up? And so in order to cover up the truth of what happened, he begins quickly telling lies and says, well, I went down and there was two monsters and his nose grows slowly because he lied. And then again, she probes deeper. Well, how did that happen? And then he lies again and he keeps lying. And each time he lies, his nose grows larger and larger and larger until it's basically the size of a tree branch with birds in a nest. And the idea behind this thought was that when we lie, a lie keeps growing more and more and more until it's so obvious to everyone around us that we are liars, that we are blatant liars and we are not trustworthy. You know, we're no different than Pinocchio because we ourselves lie. Uh, too often, we don't tell the full truth. We don't tell all the facts that happen. In fact, I was looking at some statistics on a recent study about the amount of lies that are told on a daily basis. And I found some pretty interesting things. It says that the average child begins telling lies between the ages of two and three years old. So pretty much right out of the gates, we're already telling lies. Then it says, in an average conversation of 10 minutes, a person will lie to you two to three times. They say that it's estimated that on average, people lie four times per day, which is equivalent to 1,460 lies per year. 40% of people admitted to lying on their resume. 32% of pa patients admitted to lying to their doctors. 60, or sorry, 86% of people admitted to lying to their parents. 69% of people admitted to lying to their spouses. 70% of people who said that they have lied in the past said they would use the same lies to tell it to others again in the future. 89% of people on apps lie to one another. And so they also gave in this uh, statistics the common reasons as to why people lied. And it was, you know, I want to save face. I don't want to, I want to shift the blame to someone else. They said, I want to avoid any unusual or awkward confrontation, so I lied. Some people said they did it for their own personal gain that financially benefited them. Some people said they just wanted to be nice and couldn't tell the truth. Other people said that it made them feel better about themselves by lying in a situation. And so those were the top reasons. And you have to keep in mind, too, that this is just what people admitted to. So, you know, if people actually told 100% of the truth, these statistics would be true, but who knows what the real statistics would be if they hadn't, hadn't lied on these statistics. So there you have it. This lying issue is a serious issue that everyone deals with. And so today I've titled the message, Tell the Truth, or you could say Speak the Truth. But today Jesus is going to talk to us about the idea of being a man of your word, about keeping your promises, about actually meaning what you say you'll do. And Jesus specifically talks about the idea of oaths, and of vows. And then he talks about the problems with oaths. And then he offers some principles to show us how we can be more truthful in our speech. So let's look at Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 through 37. 
It says in verse 33, Again, you have heard it that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your yes be yes, and your no, no. For whatever is more than these is from the evil one. There's also a parallel passage found in James, in chapter 5 of James, that says, But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, lest you fall into judgment. And so let's remind ourselves of what was being talked about before, what was kind of the context of what we're talking about. And if you go back to Matthew 5, verse 20, Jesus said, For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. And as we know, the the Pharisees, the scribes, they were very religious people. They studied the, the Bible through and through. They knew everything there was to know about it. And yet, uh, these people must have thought, well, if, if, my, if these are the people I look up to and their righteousness is not enough, then I have no hope. Let's just, I, just, I give up. There's no possibility that I could ever be more righteous than the Pharisees. And yet, if you actually looked at the heart of the Pharisees, you'd find that it was so corrupt, so evil. It was so far from the outward display that they actually showed people. And so Jesus is again reminding us and really is wanting to get to the heart issue behind a sin in our lives. The sin of not being truthful, of telling lies. This is the the fourth time that Jesus is saying, you have heard it said of old, or you have heard that it was said, but I tell you. Jesus is going to expound upon a law to get to the heart issue behind it. And Jesus wants us to take a serious look at the words that we say about the promises that we make and about the vows that we take. There, uh, it, the command itself that says, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oath to the Lord. If you're looking for where that was found in the Bible, it's actually not written in the Bible. Uh, but instead, it seems as though it's a summation of all different verses that were found throughout the Old Testament, where God commanded his people time and time again about not swearing falsely. And so I thought we should look at some of those. One of them is found in Leviticus. 19, where it says, And you shall not swear by my name falsely, nor shall you profane the name of your God, I am the Lord. And here God is saying, don't swear by my name unless you're going to keep what you say you're going to do. Don't drag me into your lies, he's saying basically. Numbers 30 also brings this up where it says, If a man breaks a vow to the Lord or swears an oath, to bind himself by some agreement, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. God, again, is reminding us, he's saying, if you're going to swear an oath, if you're going to promise something that's going to bind yourself in an agreement, you better fulfill it. Be a man of your word. Follow through with what you've committed to. And then we also see in Deuteronomy, he says, when you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay to pay it. For the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and it would be sin to you. Again, he's saying, if you don't keep your word that you've committed, then you've sinned before the Lord. And he is going to make sure that you keep what you've, prom- keep what you've promised to do. And so, let's remind ourselves that this section is not just written because we lie, 
but it's also written to remind us of God's stance on lying. The fact is that God hates lies. In fact, hate is even too weak of a word. God says that it's an abomination to him. We read in Proverbs about these seven things that God hates or things that are abominations to him. And it says, these six things the Lord's hate, yes, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, and look at number two, a lying tongue. We skip all the way down to verse 19. It says, a false witness who speaks lies. Already two out of the seven things that God considers an abomination deal with not being truthful. And if that wasn't enough, he again reminds us later in Proverbs, it says, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who deal truthfully are his delight. And so some people might look at this passage and go, okay, well, that's it. I'll just never swear an oath again in my life. Uh, so if, you know, if they call me in to jury duty and I have to be chosen for the juror, I'll just say I can't be part of this because God says I can't swear. I'm not allowed to, so you have to excuse me. And uh, that, that really misses the point of what this is saying. It's not saying that we can never swear an oath. It's not saying that you know, it's not right to make an oath. In fact, there's even examples in the New Testament where Paul himself swore and made an oath to God. Essentially, Paul was using an oath, calling upon God as his witness to attest to the truthfulness of what he was saying to the churches. We read it first in Galatians. He says, Now concerning the things which I write to you, indeed, before God, I do not lie. He's saying to the church of Galatia, I'm telling you the truth. God is my witness that what I am saying is truthful. So whatever you read after this, you can hold me accountable that God is my witness between me and you. Again, to the Corinthian church, in 2 Corinthians, he says, Moreover, I call God as my witness against my soul, that to spare you I came no more to Corinth. Not only was Paul using oaths and vows, but Jesus himself was testifying under oath before the high priest, and he used an oath. It, we read this in Matthew 26. And the high priest arose and said to him, Do you answer nothing? What is it these men testify against you? But Jesus kept silent. And the high priest answered and said to him, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And here we read Jesus' answer. Jesus said to him, It is as you have said. Nevertheless, I say to you hereafter, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. So we see clearly that Jesus himself swore an oath saying that I am this Jesus Christ. I am the Son of God. And to those who ever say Jesus never admitted to that, here is clearly evidence that he is saying under oath that I am the Son of God. We read also in Hebrews about God himself swearing an oath to Abraham. When he, he made a promise, it says in Hebrews, for when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely, blessing, I will bless you, and multiplying, I will multiply you. See, God made a promise to Abraham to bless him and to multiply his people. I also love the fact that God swore by himself because there's no one greater. You see, when we swear, we always have to swear by something higher than us. We swear by something that's greater so that if we don't keep our word, at least someone greater can hold us accountable to that. And it's try trying to add, you know, um, more weight to what we're saying, but God being the greatest and most powerful being there is, he swore by, he could swear by no one greater, so he swore by himself that he would keep this promise. And we know what happens. God kept his promise. God kept his word. He kept his oath, and it was fulfilled. And really, the purpose of an oath is to settle matters between two parties. 
you call on someone as greater to ensure that you follow through with what you've done. It adds more weight, like I said. But it also holds you accountable if you don't keep that oath. Ecclesiastes talks about this, about God's stance on, on oaths and when we don't keep it. It says, When you make a vow to God, do not delay to pay it, for he has no pleasures in fools. Pay what you have vowed. Better not to vow than to vow and not pay. Do not let your mouth cause your flesh to sin, nor say before the messenger of God that it was in an error. Why should God be angry at your excuse or destroy your work of your hands? So inevitably, God knew that there are people who are going to, in the heat of the moment, uh, you know, say, God, I promise I'm going to do this. I promise that if you just give me this, I'll do this. Or God, I am so overjoyed and so thankful for what you've done. I promise you that in the future, I'll do this forever. And that they would just say these things in this, either this high, you know, uh, period of their life or the lowest period of life, they'll make these rash promises. And you probably have known people who have done these things. And God knows that people speak a lot of words in crises, or they speak a lot of words at different points in their lives. And so God writes this down for us to remind ourselves that these vows I take extremely seriously. This is not just something that you just say in the spur of a moment. This is something that you must fulfill. And God says, I'd rather you not even make a vow if you're not going to keep it than to say you're going to do this and not fulfill it. You're better off just not doing it at all. And he's saying, you know, if you do make a vow, don't try and backtrack and say, well, I didn't mean it, I'm sorry, it was, you know, it was not, I wasn't thinking, I, you know, I was, I was distracted or whatever. He says, why should God be angry at you for not keeping your word? So when you make a promise to God, it is binding. It solidifies what you said you'll do. And God will hold a per person to their words. And so clearly God's not saying that swearing an oath is wrong. But what he's interested in is more about our honesty, our integrity, our truthfulness in what we say. When we say something, it really should mean something. When we say something, it should be reliable, it should be trustworthy, it should be something that we know is truthful and other people can trust as truthful. And we should not backtrack on the things that we say when we clearly made a promise to God and others with God as our witness. And so this really is nothing new to the Pharisees. They were very well aware that they should not swear uh, or that they, that they should not uh, you know, lie or not swear falsely. They realized that if someone swore to God, it was something that had to be kept. So pretty much it, it was as good as gold in their eyes because it would keep the parties accountable. But the Pharisees, what they began doing was they said, okay, well, swearing to God is a binding agreement. So, we, so if we swear to God, we're going to keep that promise. But what if we found a loophole where we were able to swear by something higher than us, but not to God? And so they said, well, I, I'll, I'll swear to heaven, or I'll swear to, swear to Jerusalem, or I'll swear to the earth, or I'll swear to, you know, on the, on the hair of my head. And so they, they began substituting God's name or a promise to God for something else that was maybe higher than them, but not fully binding, so they could say, well... If I don't keep it, it's not as binding as it would be, and I don't have to fulfill it because it wasn't to God. They even made rules that, you know, it's okay to swear by the temple and break your promise, but if you swear by the gold of the temple, then you're bound to that promise. Or if you swear to the altar in the temple and you, you know, and you don't keep it, it's okay. But if you swear by the gift on the altar, then you're responsible to keep that one. 
And so you see where their logic is. They want to basically get the most weight they can add to their promises without actually having to fulfill it. They wanted to get as much wiggle room into their promises, and hopefully that would still make the person believe what they're saying. And Jesus really rebukes them in Matthew, 30, uh, Matthew 23. He says, Woe to you, blind guides! You say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing, but if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, is bound by oath? You blind fools, which is greater, the gold or the temple which makes the gold sacred? Also you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing, but anyone who swears by the gift of the altar is bound by that oath? You blind men, which is greater, the gift or the altar which makes the gift sacred? Therefore, anyone who swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And anyone who swears by the temple swears by it and by the one who dwells in it. And anyone who swears by heaven swears by God's throne and by the one who sits on it. And the fact is that no matter how much the Pharisees tried to keep God out of their promises, how they tried to keep him out of their oaths, God still says that no matter what you swear by, I am somehow still involved. Therefore, you still are obligated to fulfill what you promised. Jesus is saying you cannot escape your obligation to God just because you substituted his name for something else, because you substitute it with something he created or something that he rules over. Your vows are binding. You must keep your word, and you can't just get off because of a technicality of changing of words. I remember when I was in uh, elementary school, we would always, around lunchtime, have, you know, bag lunches or whatever, and we would make trades with one another, and so I would be like, oh, Kevin, I'll give you, I'll give you my Cheetos if you give me my fruit roll, your fruit roll-up. And so then we said, you promise? Pinky promise? And we both pinky promise, or we'd swear or whatever. And he said, yeah, yeah, I'll give it to you. And so then you give him the Cheetos, and, and then Kevin doesn't give you the fruit roll-up, and you're like, wait, where, where is the, why, why didn't you give it to me? And he said, oh, I, I had my fingers crossed. You, I, see, I got, I got it now. And he would, how's that fair? And this, this actually would happen quite a bit throughout school, and people would say, no, my fingers are crossed, didn't, didn't mean I ha don't have to keep it. And as, as funny as that might be, it's actually exactly what the Pharisees were doing. They're trying to basically keep a promise and then at the end they say, oh, well, my fingers were crossed. I didn't swear by God. I swore by heaven, so it doesn't bind me. And Jesus is again rebuking them, saying, this is not acceptable in my sight. If you're going to swear by heaven instead of God, well, heaven's my throne. If you're going to swear by earth, well, that's my footstool. If you're going to decide to Jerusalem, well, I'm the king of that city. Oh, you're going to swear by your head? How can you do that? You can't even make one hair white or black. I am, and Jesus is trying to say that I am above all things. I control all things. I am in all things. You cannot swear outside of me. And if you swear by heaven, remember you're swearing by the one who created it and the one who dwells there. If you swear by earth, remember you're swearing by the person who created it and, is, and it's the one who's, it's his footstool. There is nothing you can swear by that lessens your oaths, that reduces your responsibility to keep your end of the vow, because God is everywhere. He knows all things. He sees all things. And when we make an oath, we must keep it. And today, we don't typically hear people say, I swear by Jerusalem, or I swear by the temple, or I swear, you know, to heaven. Usually what we hear is, uh, I swear on my life, or I swear on my mother's grave. I swear on my son or daughter's life. I swear on this or that. Whatever we say today. 
We're always swearing on something, hoping that it gives us more weight to our promises. But God is still saying today, no matter what we swear by, we are responsible to tell the truth. And God is not prohibiting our oaths, but ultimately he's saying that it's better off you just say yes and mean what you say yes. And if you can't commit to something, say no and mean that no. Don't change your mind. He's saying, you know, anything more than that, that, that's that's from the evil one. It's just sin. He says, you don't need to make all these oaths. Just Just be a person who's known for their integrity, known for their honesty, rather than having to swear these things to add all this weight to your name. Be known for your truthfulness. And, uh, I mean, often today, I, I just think of the, the amount of times someone says something and we can't rely on what they're saying because you're like, we'll get it in writing, you know? But God is saying, be so truthful that people can just take your word as gold, that what you're saying is going to happen. And I don't want us to get confused to think that this section's only talking about oaths or vows or the promises we make. This is really in reference to everything we say. Everything we say daily is either a truthful thing or it's a lie. And God wants us to use our lips to speak truth in every single situation we have. Whether it's telling a story about an event that happened in our lives, whether it's answering a question, whether it's agreeing to meet with a friend, or whatever the case may be, we need to tell the truth. And so, as I was thinking about this week, I found this message or this this next few thoughts, incredibly convicting because I realize how untruthful I am in my own life. And so I hope that you also realize the different times we oftentimes tell lies and maybe don't even think about it, don't even realize it, where I didn't keep my word and follow through with what I said, or I wasn't being completely honest. And so here's just a couple of examples of times where I found that I need to work on and be more truthful. There are certain things that I'll just title as blatant lies that we tell. Are there blatant lies that you're aware of that you tell in your life? It could be maybe someone asks you a question, and in order to not look bad, you lie about it because you don't want the person to know you messed up. I remember a time where I was told by my manager to do something, and she called me later that day and said, hey, David, did you actually get around to doing that? I don't see it documented anywhere. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I did it. I just didn't put it in yet. Even though I had not done it at that point, and I just didn't want her to know that I hadn't done it because it had already been a couple hours since she told me to do it. And so just to quickly save face and to say, and to make her feel better that I'm a reliable employee, I just said that. And I was like, that's such a lie. Why did I say that? I mean, yeah, I ultimately will do it, but I didn't do it at that point. And oftentimes we do those things. We lie about things that are not truthful. and just a blatant lie. Oftentimes, I think about around the holiday time too, um, we tell kids lies. We tell him Santa Claus is real. We tell him, you know, he's coming down the chimney. You made it, put out cookies for him. We tell people the Easter Bunny is real, and we make them believe these lies, even though there's no purpose other than for holiday's sake. Um, there's also times in my life where I have been asked questions like, oh, David, do you know so-and-so? Or do you know such-and-such such a place? Have you ever been to here? And so in order to feel like I'm involved in that conversation, in order to feel as though... I know what they're talking about. Oh, yeah, I know that. Yeah, yeah, that. Yeah. Even though I don't know that at all. And they go on telling this conversation as if I totally understood what they were talking about. It's just a lie. Other times people have these, maybe it's a conflicting thought in your mind, but they see, you know, oh, senior discount, or they say, oh, children discount. Maybe if I could put my age different, I can get a cheaper rate. 
And so people lie about their age depending on how it suits them so they get better discounts or better rates on things. Just blatant lies. There are other lies I thought about which are like half-truths, or what we call white lies. And really, I looked at the definition of a half-truth, um, and a half-truth, it says, is when we tell only a partial truth to someone with the hopes of deliberately deceiving someone. And as we know, a half-truth is still a lie. It's still a whole lie. <clears throat> and, um, but there are times where people, um, you know, at the hospital, I regularly see this. You ask them, sir, how many drinks did you have tonight? And they said, oh, you know, maybe one or two. And, you know, you, you draw their blood, and sure enough, you find out their alcohol content is, you know, 10 times the regular limit. And so you find out clearly it was a lie. They didn't, they didn't want to own up to what they were saying. Um, sometimes people are, you know, they're asked your opinion about such and such, and because you're scared of how they might think, you just kind of tell them what you don't really feel, but you just don't want to say the truth. And oftentimes we can come back, and the truth of how we felt sometimes is revealed to that person, and it hurts them to know that we lied to them, that we weren't truthful. Other times, I can think of another category I can think of is called exaggerations. Uh, oftentimes, we exaggerate what we say. Uh, I've, I can say for myself, I feel particularly guilty sometimes about exaggerations in my life. And it's, you know, oftentimes we're just telling a story and we just want to make it funnier or we want to make it more exciting or we want the person to react bigger. And so, you know, we tell a story like, you know, I was in the store with this lady and she got in this heated argument with another customer. She started throwing punches and she started pulling all items off the shelves and started uh, throwing them all over the store. And it, it was incredible. The cops came and they almost arrested her and she just stormed out in a rampage. When in reality, all it was was there was a person in the customer, she got angry, and she just left the store. But we just wanted to make it more exciting, so we added all these details to add more excitement. But it's a lie. It's things that did not happen, yet we're saying that's true. Sometimes we twist stories. That's another category I thought of. In order to make ourselves the victim, or in order to make ourselves uh, not at fault, we twist stories. For example, sometimes you'll get an argument at work or with another person, and you talk to your manager, you talk to someone who's higher than you and say, this person did this, look at this, this is just awful. And this is, you know, I was, so, I was so frustrated with what they did. And sure enough, the other person comes walking in and says, well, they're the one who started that conversation. They're the one who instigated it. And yet we twisted the story to make it seem as though we were the one who was at fault when really we didn't tell the whole truth about what really happened. Other times you'll see kids coming in and say, Jimmy pushed me down off the bike. And then you find out, sure enough, that first Kelly threw the punch. And so that's what caused Jimmy to get pushed off the bike. And so we're not really telling the full truth as to what happened. There's a, this one I found probably the most convicting. It's promises we make. And um, I remember a time where I told Justin just a few weeks ago, he said, David, will you sit with me uh, at the potluck? Will you come sit down with me at the table? And I said, sure, Justin, I'll be there. And I went in line, I started talking with people, and they said, oh yeah, we're gonna go sit over here. So I, I went down and I sat with them, and lo and behold, I look over here and Justin's sitting alone, and I remembered my promise, and I was like, ah, I lied to him. I told him I'd be there, and he didn't forget, he remembered that I told him I was gonna be there. And he remembered that I was not truthful. And I, I, I look back on that, I was like, I lied to him. Whether, whether, you know, oh, I, I, forget, I didn't forget, I remembered it and I, I didn't do it. Um, there are times where 
people say, and people say this a lot in, in the Christian community, anytime you've been talking to someone who's been going through a hard time or they've uh, really been struggling with something, you go, you know what, brother or sister, I'll, I'll be praying for you. But how often do we actually pray for them and not just say it as a condolence? How often do we regularly pray for these people? We say, I'm going to pray for you and actually mean it. I know of too many times in my life I've been guilty of saying, I'll pray for that person, and I totally forget what I said I'd pray for. It's lies that we tell. Commitments. This is another thing that we oftentimes fail so often. You get a text from a person and says, hey, having a party tomorrow, can you make it? Love to have you. And you say, yeah, sure, I'll be there. Six o'clock sounds good. And then the rest of your day rolls on, and you know, time starts ticking, and then someone says, hey, do you want to go to a sporting event tomorrow? Got you tickets, you know, super cheap deal. Would you like to come? And you're torn. You're like, hey, man, sorry, I can't make it tomorrow. Uh, something came up. And then you tell them, I can't come. And you, you said you would go to this initial party, and then you decided that something was better, and so you decided to go off of that, and you didn't fulfill what you decided to go with. I oftentimes, people do that. They, they fail. They, they say, you know what? This is more important. Something better came up, better offer came up. I'm going to switch my plans. But remember, you committed to that initially. I remember I had such respect for someone who initially agreed to a small dinner party with someone. It was just very casual. It could have been any day of the week, but that happened to be the day of the week where he also wanted to go to a concert, which was the most uh, rare occurrence because this guy never goes on tour. And he happened to be in this city for just this night, and he had always dreamed of a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to go to a concert. And yet, because he had committed already to dinner plans, he decided, you know what? I'm just going to stick with it. I'm going to go to that dinner, even though I'm missing out on what may be my only chance to ever see him before he retires. And so that was something that we and I took as an example of learning. Of I should be more like that, actually sticking with what I say I'll go through. Oftentimes, people ask for help, and they say, you know, can you help me move? Can you help me... Um, settle, um, set up something? Can you help me pick up something from the air? Can you help me get picked up from the airport? Or can you help me with an errand or do whatever? And you say, sure, I'll be there. And then as the week goes on, you go, oh, that was today? Oh, I didn't, I'm sorry. I, I, I double booked myself. I'm sorry. Didn't realize that. And again, we just failed to keep our commitments. I remember there was a job that uh, I wanted to take, and it was good benefits, it was good pay. But it was a two-year commitment. And I knew that I wasn't going to stick with that job for the whole two years. And I've seen too many people, and it was so easy. I could have just easily committed because so many people broke their contracts early and just said, oh, you know, I found a better job. But that point, I knew that I would, if I took it, I would, be, I would break a contract. And I didn't want to actually commit to it because I knew I was going to do that. And so I didn't. But it's so easy for us in those moments to just say, oh, well, we'll, we'll just break it and, you know, it'll be fine. Don't worry about it. But that's a legally binding document that I said I would stay the full amount of time. I thought of another thing in, in vows. We talked about this last week. Marriages, uh, you make a vow. And do you fulfill your vows? When you say for better or for worse, do you still love them when the for worse time comes? Do you still fulfill the vows you made on your wedding day? Do you still remain faithful to them? Do you have eyes only for them? Do you cherish them every single day? Do you love them unconditionally and forgive them as you promised you would? And then we reach today what we're talking about, oaths. When you swear an oath in the court of law, why do they even have a swear? It's because people lie all the time. It's 
It's because people have lied on the witness stand. And so do we speak the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth when we make oaths before God or before others in the court of law? Or do we try and find wiggle room to get out of our, our promises and say, oh, we never really meant that? So in case you haven't noticed, we lie a lot. And we are not truthful, truthful um, more often than not. And um, it's really sad because as followers of Christ, we are commanded to speak the truth. Our words are to be truthful without any half-truths, without any exaggerations, without um, failing to keep our promises, without failing to keep our commitments or our vows. We are to be truthful in every situation. And why? It's because Jesus always spoke the truth. He never lied. There was no deceit found in him. And more than that, not only did he speak the truth, Jesus is the truth. It says in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so as I was thinking this week of the countless times I've lied, countless times where I failed in keeping my word, I was reminded that Jesus does not lie. Jesus does not fail. Jesus has been faithful to his word through the centuries, through the decades. He has never failed to keep his word. Regardless of what mankind did, God was always faithful to keep his word. And so Jesus today is teaching us, be men and women of our words. Be truthful. Let your yes be a yes. And when you say no, let it be a no. And if you're going to say anything else that binds you to a promise, fulfill it. It's better that you not make a vow if you're not going to keep it than to make a vow and not do it. And so let your final answer be the one you decide. Don't be found untruthful. And the reason I say that is because, really three reasons, as, as to why I think God is so interested in our truthfulness. The first reason I could think of is our reputation. People, whether you want to believe it or not, they're watching you. They are watching. Is this person a trustworthy person? Is this person a habitual liar? Is this person someone who, you know, follows through with his promises, or do they constantly bail in the last minute? Because people tend to not take too seriously the words of people that have constantly fallen through and haven't gone forward with their word. Soon enough, they just forget, you know, they said yes, but honestly, I doubt they're even going to come to the party tonight. Or, you know, they said they would be there, but I'm going to have to follow up with a text because they haven't replied when they said they would have. And so, as, as a liar, as a person who is not known for their word to be truthful, you build a reputation. People begin to see you. You know what? I, I really, I, I can't trust him that I'll be there. And that's really hard to break. Once you've been known as a liar, as someone who's not trustworthy, people begin to start believing you. And so that takes sometimes years, decades, even a whole lifetime to recover from. And so really our reputation is at stake when we are known as liars. So Jesus tells us not just to tell the truth just because of our reputation, but more than that, our testimony is also at stake. If we're known as Christ's followers, if we are ambassadors for Christ, if we are supposed to be the salt and the light of this world, if we're the ones who are supposed to be different than this world, then how can we be known as people or believed if we're not telling the truth? How can we uh, basically say that, you know, this person is the one that I want you to follow and yet not actually live a life that shows that? How can we um, expect that people will believe our words if we're not even truthful? 
Our testimony is constantly under scrutiny based on what we say. And finally, God desires truthfulness from his followers because our effectiveness in reaching unbelievers is severely limited if we're known as liars. How can anyone say that Jesus, how can anyone believe that Jesus is the truth and the only way when the person telling him about him is constantly lying about other things in their lives? How can they trust the message is true when the messenger is a habitual liar? How could I place my eternal security in Jesus when the person talking to me about him doesn't even follow through with his words to come to my party or to an event? Consider that your testimony, your reputation is on display for every single person every day that you go out in this world. People are watching. People are observing. Are you like the rest of the world that fails to keep their promises and lies constantly? Or are you going to be different than the world? Do you constantly fail to go through with your promises that you make? And believe me when I tell you that your effectiveness for Christ and for winning souls for the Lord is severely limited when we're not acting like Christ. And so Jesus just reminds us this morning to tell the truth. Be known for your truthfulness. Be a man and woman of, your, of integrity. Be known as someone who follows through with their commitments, who follows through with their vows, who keeps their oaths and the promises that they make to others. Is there a promise that you've made that you haven't fulfilled that you need to fulfill today? Keep it. Tell the truth. May the Lord help us this week as we try and be more truthful and hopefully in turn more effective for his kingdom as well. Let's just pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we're just thankful just for your word and Lord, we realize how convicting it is. Lord, we realize how much we fail in this area of our lives. And Lord, we pray that we be more and more like you, telling the truth, being honest, known as truth bearers. Lord, I pray that this world would see a difference in us and that we wouldn't just be like the rest of the world that fails to keep their commitments and honor their promises. Lord, I pray that we would be known for our truthfulness. I pray, Lord, that you would help us this week in that. In your name I pray. Amen.